Well, it's really good to be back and be with you all today. Um, back for about a week, and so very thankful to get to spend Thanksgiving here with you all. Uh, we've been doing well up in Juneau, Alaska. We've had our ups and downs, particularly with uh, some church stuff, um, but we're excited to be back, and I'm very thankful to get to preach today as I've been reading in the book of Jeremiah. I wanted to be brushing up on some Old Testament books. As You know, I haven't re even read all the way through some of the, you know, minor prophets in the Old Testament and haven't really spent enough time studying there, so I wanted to go do that. And uh, Jeremiah 36 particularly uh, stuck out to me as a relevant and applicable message to the church today and what we need to stand on as we've been called to proclaim God's word in the face of adversity. A little context on Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the last prophet sent to Judah before they were taken captive by Babylon as chastisement for rebellion against God and the breaking of the Old Covenant. We too have been sent by God to deliver a message of warning to a world in rebellion and have much we can learn from Jeremiah's trials. The pattern for proclaiming God's word in the face of adversity is outlined in this account of Jeremiah 36. A process of four steps is outlined in this account and will help us understand how we may proclaim God's word boldly in the face of adversity. Let's pray. God, you've given your word to us to us here in its written form. And as the church, you've given us your Holy Spirit to each and every believer and promised to teach us through the words which you have written. And Lord, we know that walking the Christian walk is not easy and the message we proclaim is not easy for us to understand nor for the world to hear as it is a message of warning and it cuts against our sin as who we are as as people and we would not submit to you in our sinful state god but you have given us grace and so i pray you would equip your church to proclaim your word boldly as you equip jeremiah to do amen <clears throat> so if you'll open your bibles to jeremiah 36 we will read the chapter and then we will begin to break it apart now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah, and against all the nations. From the day I spoke to you, from the days of Josiah, even to this day, it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose to bring upon them that everyone may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll of a book, at the instruction of Jeremiah, all the words of the Lord which he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am confined, I cannot go into the house of the Lord. You go, therefore, and read from the scroll which you have written at my instruction the words of the Lord, in the hearing of the people in the Lord's house on the day of fasting. And you shall also read them in the hearing of all Judah who come from their cities. It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord, and everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord has pronounced against this people. And Baruch the son of Neriah did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. Now it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem, and all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem. Then Baruch read from the book the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan the scribe, in the upper court, at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house, in the hearing of all the people. 
When Micaiah the son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the book, he then went down to the king's house, into the scribe's chamber, and there all the princes were sitting, Elishama the scribe, Deliah the son of Shemaiah, Elnathan the son of Akbor, Gemariah the son of Shaphan, Zedekiah the son of Hananiah, and all the princes. Then Micaiah declared to them all the words that he had heard when Baruch read the book in the hearing of the people. Therefore all the princes sent Jehudi, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi, to Baruch, saying, Take in your hand the scroll from which you have read in the hearing of the people, and come. So Baruch, the son of Neriah, took the scroll in his hand and came to them. And they said to him, Sit down now and read it in our hearing. So Baruch read it in their hearing. Now it happened, when they had heard all the words, that they looked in fear from one to another, and said to Baruch, We will surely tell the king of all these words. And they asked Baruch, saying, Tell us now, how did you write all these words, at his instruction? So Baruch answered them, He proclaimed with his mouth all these words to me, and I wrote them with ink in the book. Then the princes said to Baruch, Go and hide, you and Jeremiah, and let no one know where you are. And they went to the king, into the court, but they stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishama the scribe, and told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king sent Jehudi to bring the scroll, and he took it from Elishama the scribe's chamber. And Jehudi read it in the hearing of the king, and in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month, with a fire burning on the hearth before him. And it happened, when Jehudi had read three or four columns, that the king cut it with the scribe's knife, and cast it into the fire that was on the hearth, until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words. Nevertheless, Elnathan, Deliah, and Gemariah implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, Sariah the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah the son of Abdeel, to seize Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Take yet another scroll, and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim the king of Judah has burned. And you shall say to Jehoiakim king of Judah, Thus says the Lord, You have burned this scroll, saying, Why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land, and cause man and beast to cease from here? Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning Jehoiakim king of Judah, He shall have no one to sit on the throne of David, and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and the frost of the night. I will punish him, his family, and his servants for their iniquity, and will bring on them, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and on the men of Judah, all the doom that I have pronounced against them. But they did not heed. Then Jeremiah took another scroll, and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim king of Judah had burned in the fire. And besides, there were added to them many similar words. <clears throat> in this account, we see the process of Jeremiah declaiming, proclaiming his message of warning that he has received from God to this rebellious people. We see four steps in this process, and it well outlines the church and the mission we have been given to proclaim the gospel to all the nations. So in studying this, first we will start with the commission in verses 1 through 4. God sovereignly selects and sends a messenger to deliver the proclamation. We must answer three questions to understand the initiation of this event. First, what is a commission? A word we're probably familiar with, but we should define well before we continue on. 
two possible definitions from the Webster's would be an authorization or command act or command to act in a prescribed manner or to perform prescribed acts. Next, authority to act for, in behalf of, or in place of another. And with these two de definitions, we've well summed up the idea of a commission here. God has authorized or commanded Jeremiah to act in a certain manner as a messenger, a prophet, to deliver God's word to the people who do not have it. Jeremiah also is speaking with God's authority that God has granted to him to speak his words on God's behalf, representing God in a intercessory manner and in the place of. God is not speaking directly. He is speaking through Jeremiah. And we see this has been God's common pattern throughout the revelation of Scripture, that he has honored man in being able to act in his behalf and he works through men. Also takes the idea of, and a connotation we might be a little more familiar with, a military rank, a commissioned officer. If you're a commissioned officer in the military, you have been granted the authority and authorization to command and act in that capacity to perform those duties. You're acting in the place of and on behalf, in our case, the United States of America. Now, if you just were some guy and you showed up to the military base and be like, all right, I'm going to be a lieutenant today. No one's going to listen to you because you've not been commissioned according to how the military gives a commission to an officer. You don't have any authority. So God has given his authority to his appointed prophet in this case. Another way we might understand it would be um, commissioning a certain work. So if you wanted a particular rifle built and you couldn't just go to Sportsman's Warehouse and Shields and pick it up, you might go to a gunsmith, have them build you a rifle. And in some way you'd be exercising your sovereignty in that because he is better build what you tell him to. And that's why you're there in the first place. Otherwise, you would just go buy something off of the rack. So you want it in a particular way. You've exercised your limited sovereignty in this case and say, I would like you to build this. Or the art world is a common uh, place where we have the idea of commissioned, uh, commissioning a painting. The Renaissance in Europe was a time of the arts flourishing. And it was because people... There was a, a drive-in culture. There was many patrons of the arts, noblemen who had uh, money and affluence, and they saw the benefits of art in their society, and so they would go find an artist, and they would commission a painting or other work of art. And when you commission a work of art, the painter paints what you tell him to paint. <clears throat> so if you were perhaps an Italian nobleman, and you were a little self-righteous, and you commissioned a painting of Jesus, that painter would paint him to look just like you. And then that would be emblazoned on stained glass throughout Christendom. And everyone would be that hippie looking guy as Jesus. But really, it was just someone who had Jesus painted to look like them. And so, and not just to be humorous, but showing that when you commission something... You're choosing what, how it is to be done and what the purpose is um, according to how you would desire. And that is the case here with God commissioning his prophet and messenger. So who is commissioned? Well, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 1 and look at 1 through 5. And we'll see the commissioning of Jeremiah as a prophet. Jeremiah 1, 1 through 5. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign, came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, 
the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. So in this text, we must ask, ask who sent whom, and it's very clearly that God selected, commissioned, and sent Jeremiah. Jeremiah could no more have chosen to become a prophet than he could have done anything else that man cannot do. It's not up to a man to choose to be a prophet. God chooses a prophet and gives him his words to declare. Then throughout the revelation um, accounted in, in Jeremiah, we see the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and we're given the times and the messages and how this unfolds through this time in history. And so God is the one who keeps delivering his message to Jeremiah, and it doesn't even happen all at once. Uh, the scroll that Jehoiakim burns here is like the uh, collected works of Jeremiah to this point, and it's come piece by piece by piece by piece. So Jeremiah doesn't even know what the message is going to be until he gets it, and it's unfolding through the progress of revelation. So God is the one who commissions and selects his prophet. Third, we must ask, why did God issue the commission, or what is the purpose in issuing the commission? And we find that here in verse 3. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adverse adversities which I purpose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, that I for, may forgive their iniquity and their sin. So it is a call to repentance. And God in his justice must issue the consequences for breaking the old covenant without repentance. And so what's deserved by Judah is coming to them. And we know that God is merciful, and so he is presenting an opportunity for repentance. And that is very kind of him. He would be well within his prerogative to have destroyed the nation of Israel or Israel and Judah long before Jeremiah came on the scene, but he's been patient and long-suffering with them, and he is giving them yet another chance. And even as the story continues to fold in Jeremiah, there will be more chances for repentance, most of which will be turned down. So this is the purpose in God issuing the commission. It is a call to repentance. And that is a very common theme throughout the whole revelation of Scripture. When God sends a message to his prophets, he is declaring his desire to seek reconciliation with man and that is the story unfolding throughout the Bible. So the call to repentance and God seeking reconciliation is the theme of all the inspired and delivered message throughout Scripture, and particularly here to Judah. So we've looked at the commission. Next, we will see the proclamation in verses 5 through 10. <clears throat> and Jeremiah commanded Baruch, saying, I am confined. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. You go, therefore, and read from the scroll which you have written at my instruction, the words of the Lord in the hearing of the people in the Lord's house on the day of fasting. And you shall also read them in the hearing of all Judah who come from their cities. It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord and everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord has pronounced upon, against this people. And Baruch, the son of Neriah, did according to all that Jeremiah the prophet commanded him, reading from the book the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. Now it came to pass in the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month that they proclaimed a fast before the Lord to all the people in Jerusalem and uh, all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem. Then Baruch read from the book the words of Jeremiah in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gemariah the son of Shaphan the scribe, in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house, in the hearing 
of all the people. There are several characteristics in this proclamation of Jeremiah's warning to help us to understand how God's word is to be delivered from his messengers. The first point, the application is indiscriminate. Baruch is to read these words in front of all the people as they've gathered together. And so Baruch is reading the scroll in the Lord's house. And if you'll notice the times, it's the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign that the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and the uh, writing of this scroll is commissioned. And the fifth year of Jehoiakim's reign that the fast is called and all these people are gathered. So it may have taken some time to compile the works, but what seems most likely is that Jeremiah and Baruch have come at an appropriate time when all of Judah will be at one place in an appropriate context at the Lord's house to hear the warning from the Lord. And so they've called a fast. We don't have much detail about that here, but a fast is a humbling before God. You don't eat, you don't drink. Uh, often you wear non-celebratory clothes. In the Old Testament, we see sackcloth, which would be like equivalent to wearing burlap clothes. And so you're, you're mourning, you're bringing yourself low before God and petitioning God. So they're aware of the threat of the Babylonians who have been kind of stirring up the entire world around them. And they are afraid of the Babylonians, but they're not afraid of God. And so this seems to be an exterior and a false petition to their God, but they have not repented of the sin that has brought this circumstance to bear in the first place. And so the people are to be gathering, to be humbled, and so it's an appropriate place for Jeremiah to deliver this message of warning at the fast. So the application is indiscriminate, proclaimed to all of the people. It's not just find the ones who are causing the issue. It's everyone, collective, all of Judah, all of the people need to hear this message. The next point, we see the message is inspired. And so we'll look at Jeremiah receiving God's words and a couple other examples to see how this is the normal pattern of God's working throughout history. Back in Jeremiah 1, just after Jeremiah's commissioning, Jeremiah 1, verses 6 through 9, we see that God puts his words into Jeremiah's mouth. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth. For you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Back in Jeremiah 36, verse 2, which we read, <clears throat> God commands Jeremiah to write all the words that I have spoken to you. And so this inspired message is nothing more than a relay of the exact words that God has spoken. Jeremiah doesn't have to come up with some way to convince the people of Judah to follow God. And as the church, we do not need to find some way to convince people that God exists or that they are sinners or that they need to be saved as we believe. It's not up to us to articulate, and it's not even our message. We're adopted into it. We have claimed it, but it's not our words. It is simply give the words that God has given to you. And that is a good thing, because otherwise we could not do God's message justice with our own words. And so God's message has power when we speak the words which he has spoken. Write all the words that I've spoken to you. Simply the words of God, not Jeremiah's words. Moving slightly forward in our Bibles to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 2, verse 9. Ezekiel is a prophet sent to Judah immediately after the beginning of the Babylonian captivity. 
This is Ezekiel's commissioning and receiving the words of God. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go, speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat the scroll. And he said, Son of man, feed your belly and fill your stomach with this scroll that I give you. So I ate, and it was in my mouth like honey in sweetness. Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. <clears throat> so a very vivid picture, and not that you have to eat a Bible in order to take in God's word, but it is a picture for us to see the taking in to the innermost part, and Ezekiel tastes that God's word is sweet, even though the writing is lamentation and mourning and woe. So there's an internalizing of God's word that then will go forth from Ezekiel, just like it went forth from Jeremiah before him. Going further back in the Old Testament, we'll look at Moses and his commissioning in Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 16. Then Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O oh my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him, and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God, and you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs." So in this account in Exodus, we see the literal delivering of God's word to Moses. And he says, I will teach your mouth what to say. And similar to Jeremiah, Moses complains and says, I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to talk. And God chastises him for that and says, I have made your mouth. I have made those who can speak well and those who cannot speak at all. And in fact, we see that Moses' lack of eloquence or ability to speak well was not a hindrance to God using him. So God chastises him and is gracious to his weakness and unbelief and allows Aaron to speak in the place of Moses. And yet we see something else specific and instructive there in that God is going to give his words to Moses then Moses is going to give his words to Aaron and then Aaron is going to be the spokesman to the people. So even when you add another link, it's the same thing, the direct transmission of the words that God said. And that's really all that scripture is, God's word written through inspiration by the hand of men. Lastly, we will look at the words that our Lord said to his disciples in Matthew chapter 10, verses 18 through 20. In describing the persecution that the disciples will face as they proclaim the word of God in the midst of adversity, Jesus encourages them. He says, You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. 
And here is the understanding of it. It is not you, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And this is the key to understanding the inspired message, the Holy Spirit speaking through God's elected and commissioned messengers. And so this happened in a very specific way through the Old Testament with Moses and the prophets and in a similar way with us as the church where everyone who believes has been given the Spirit and we are to proclaim God's word to every creature in all the world. It is For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. This is what happens when man speaks the word that God gives to him and not his own word. So in that way we see the application of the message is indiscriminate. The message itself is inspired. Lastly, we see back in Jeremiah 36, the delivery is inescapable. These people are going to hear this message. The likelihood of a positive or negative response is not to be considered when Jeremiah sends Baruch to read this message. In fact, I think Jeremiah knows this probably isn't going to go over too well. And certainly, God in his omniscience knows what's going to happen next. Yet, he sends his messenger. So, it's an inescapable and inevitability declaring God's word no matter what is going to happen next. So, it was proclaimed at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house in the ears of all the people. So, this would have been an appropriate context for a prophet or a scribe to declare such a message from the God from God. This is what the people are. They're in the Lord's house and they're supposed to be fasting and worshiping God and they should be open to hearing a message from God via the prophet. In all the ears of all the people, this message was proclaimed and as the church, we too need to proclaim the gospel publicly. Put your name on it as it were. It is not anonymous our work as the church, or our lives as Christians. Uh, one thing I've heard, and it's kind of a useful thought exercise, is if you, were, um, if you were charged with being a Christian in a court of law, would you be convicted? What is the evidence? If you put your name on your life as a Christian, and have you been speaking God's words, and would people know that? So it's not anonymous and Opposite, it would be anonymous. Put your name on it, named. So we see that the delivery is widespread and public and inescapable. So we've looked at the commissioning. We've looked at the proclamation. Now we will see the reaction. When God's word is proclaimed, a reaction is guaranteed. We know the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, as Hebrews teaches us. Something is going to happen, and that is an encouraging thing as a believer. Now, it may not always be what we would like to happen, to see true repentance and someone come to faith and admit they're a sinner, as we too had to realize, but it is not that God's word has failed or fallen flat, because even a stirring up to a rejection of God's message does bring glory to God and proves his word powerful. So there's two responses that we see here when the word is delivered. First, in this account, we see Jehoiakim's reaction. In verse 21, he begins to question the source of the revelation. The king sent Jehudi to bring the scroll, and he took it from Elishama the scribe's chamber. And so he's not sure where this came from, and he might be a little bit afraid. It says he's not afraid of the message itself, but he's likely afraid of the Babylonians and um, the oncoming danger and likely afraid of the people. And he knows he's uh, a little bit behind the curve here. So he's trying to get the information, not because he actually thinks it might be a word from God, but because this scroll is just read in the ears of all the people and he was not the fast, humbling himself, petitioning God because he hasn't been broken down. And now Every, everyone must be talking about this. His princes are talking about it. His court is talking about it. And he doesn't know. So he needs to find out 
what does this actually say? Not because he actually fears God, but just for pragmatic and uh, sinful reasons. So he doubts the message. When it's actually read to him, we're told he only reads several columns before he starts cutting up and burning the scroll. Now, Jeremiah is, I believe, 51 or 52 chapters in length, and not all of it would have been written by this time, but this is a hefty amount of information. So he wasn't there to actually sit and hear it in the reading of all the people at the temple. And he only reads a little bit before he goes to burn it and throw it away. So he hasn't actually considered the words being said. In a sense, he's cut the prophet and therefore got off as he's just beginning to speak. I'm not going to listen. We see in verse 24, he's not afraid of the message. There's no repentance. He does not believe that it comes from God. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words. And so there's no humility. There's no even wondering, maybe I've done something wrong. Could this be from God? There's not even a questioning of if this could be right or should be further investigated. He's closed off and hardened. No. And then we see revealed by his further revealed by his actions the character of his heart as he seeks to persecute the prophet the king commanded jeremiel the king's son sariah the son of azrael and shelemiah the son of abdeel to seize baruch the scribe and jeremiah the prophet but the lord hid them it seems likely that jehoiakim intends to kill the scribe and the prophet here uh, if you wish some time you may look at jeremiah 26 and read the account of Jehoiakim killing Uriah, a prophet from God. Uriah had delivered his message. He was persecuted by the king, and he fled to Egypt. And Jehoiakim sent men who went and hunted him down and found him in Egypt and killed him. So he was so against a convicting revelation from God that he would kill the prophets themselves. It's not just, I won't hear you. It's, I'm going to hurt you because I do not like what you are saying. Inversely, we see the prince's reactions, not of all of the princes, but of but three in verse 16, when they first hear the account of the revelation. It happened when they had heard all the words that they looked in fear from one to another and said to Baruch, we will surely tell the king of all these words. Now, from what they do next, there, we can believe they fear the consequences of the message, and they are question, going to question the source as well and see, is this really a word from God? Is Jeremiah really a prophet? How do we know? What is going on here? And they were not in the reading of the word in the Lord's house either, so they're uh, slow to the punch as well and trying to gather this information, and they're afraid this might be a real pronouncement of judgment against God and that they may be in sin. They also likely fear the king's reaction to the message, and this is uh, displayed in their actions when they hide and refind the scroll. They don't want to be seen just bringing the scroll to the king as they don't, they're careful to associate themselves with this message. They don't want to be seen as being on Jeremiah's side or saying, you have to read this because it's true. So they go and hide it, and they say, we heard about this, we're looking into it. The king says, bring it to me, and then they look like they're helping the king out instead of advocating for Jeremiah. And so they're wrongfully fearing the king here, um, but they they are afraid. They question the source in verses 17 through 18, and this is was slightly humorous to me when I read it. They asked Baruch how he got the scroll, and Baruch answered them, He proclaimed with his mouth all these words to me, and I wrote them with ink in the book. It's kind of a no-brainer, but they're seeing, did this really come from Jeremiah? Is this actually the word of God, or is this just something you came up with? And so Baruch's straightforward answer eliminates any doubt. This is what happened. This is, it's been a straightforward transmission from the word of God. Then we see that these three princes or scribes do fear the message as they intercede against the burning of the scroll in verse 25. Nevertheless, 
Elmathan, Deliah, and Gemariah implored the king not to burn the scroll, but he would not listen to them. They fear the result of the obstinate demonstration of the king's rebellion. Now, they're not afraid of the actual message or information being lost, just as Jehoiakim isn't burning the scroll so that no one will find out about it. Everyone knows what's been said in the scroll, and the message is actually pretty simple. It was already read in the ears of all of the people in the entire country. And so it's not about either uh, covering up or keeping access to information. It's about the attitude towards the Word of God. And Jehoiakim physically demonstrates his rebellion by throwing it on the fire and destroying it, saying, this is worthless. And these scribes say, no, don't burn it. It might be the word of God or it is the word of God. And we are going to incur the punishment written therein if we do not repent. And so they tried to intercede, but the king would not listen. And so it's not just one Jeremiah and Baruch the scribe saying, king, you've done wrong and you're in error. And Judah, you're, you've done wrong and you're in error. These princes and scribes who are supposed to be advising him and helping him and who he should be listening to, they're saying, don't do this. This is a bad idea. But he is so hardened, he will not listen to them and he will not even consider or read the entire message. So you see, the proclamation is not given selectively based on the likelihood of a favorable response. There are several people that heed Jeremiah's message throughout the account uh, of his story in this time in the history of Judah. But there are far more who do not heed him and are obstinate and choose rebellion time and time again, even as the punishment from God for their rebellion is successively unfolding. It's already happened. It's continuing to happen, and they still will not repent. Nonetheless, God is glorified in the delivering of this message because it shows whose hearts are righteous and whose hearts are wicked. And God, in punishing the wicked, brings glory to himself, just as he does in working through the people who he makes righteous. So this is not an accident. God doesn't send Jeremiah with this scroll not knowing what's going to happen. He knows the state of the king's heart, and he knows it's going to burn it. I believe that's why he had Jeremiah write it down on paper, so that it could, in fact, be burned so that Jehoiakim could burn this scroll, so that Jeremiah and the rest of the country would see where his heart really was. Lastly, we see the culmination, the consequences of the actions taken here in verses 27 through 32. After the dust settles, so to speak, the ultimate consequences of rebellion are revealed. Firstly, the message is reconfirmed in verses 27 through 28. After, now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words which Baruch had written at the instruction of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Take yet another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. This confirms to two different parties the authenticity and power of God's message. First, it confirms to the recipient. Jehoiakim is assured that the Lord will deliver the promised consequence. If you thought that the coming of the Lord to Jeremiah was over and that you've stopped the proclamation of this re revelation by burning the scroll, you're wrong. God is confirming. Nope. I am still going to do it, and actually you've proven that I am right in doing this by showing everyone who you really are. The second party it's confirmed to is the messenger. Although rejected, God's message did accomplish its intended purpose and did not fail or fall flat. And I'm sure this was a great comfort to Jeremiah as he stood here in the face of rejection. No one's listening to me. Why is God sending me as a prophet if no one's actually going to listen to the words that God has to say? And Christian, can you not sympathize with that as we're to proclaim the gospel to people who do not want to hear it, yet we must give the message. And often we must go back to God's word ourselves and see God reconfirming that he is still good and he is still faithful and that rejection is not an accident, but it is part of the purpose. So there's reconfirmation of the message. 
we see Jehoiakim's heart revealed in verse 29. And you shall say to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, so this is God telling Jeremiah what to say to Jehoiakim, and Jeremiah is going to say how Jehoiakim thinks about this. So Jehoiakim is going to have Jeremiah tell him what he is already thinking. So there's a confirmation there and a revelation to us, the reader. Thus says the Lord, You have burned this scroll, saying, Jehoiakim saying, Why have you written in it that the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and cause man and beast to cease from here? So this is the thought and intent of Jehoiakim's heart. So he's not saying, I understand where you're coming from, Jeremiah, but I disagree with you that I'm in sin here. And he's not saying, yeah, I messed up, but what can I really do? He's saying, why? Why are you saying that the king of Babylon is going to destroy us? Why are you delivering this message in a time of war and, and civil turmoil? And we're supposed to be arming up militarily to fight. Why are you discouraging the people? Why are you undermining my authority and reign as the king? It's like, why are you doing this? He does not understand. He can't even see how he's in sin and in error here. And so in that state, he really has no choice but to obey his nature and lash out against God's messenger. We see through this, God's wrath is proved righteous. Judah has continued to rebel against God despite repeated prophetic warning. They have proved themselves deserving of the coming punishment. So, to conclude, Jeremiah was sent to preach, preach a harsh warning to a sinful and rebellious people. As the church, we've been sent to do the same. Firstly, Jeremiah was commissioned. God is sovereign over his message and over his messenger. In the proclamation, we see the indiscriminate call to repentance is preached. A reaction is guaranteed. God's work will invoke either rejection or repentance in the heart of the hearer. In the culmination, the actions of the hearers will show the condition of their hearts. To the repentant, God has promised he will mercifully divert his wrath. To the rebellious, God is proven just in issuing punishment. So the word of God is not to no effect, but he always sovereignly accomplishes his purposes. The last place I will take you in the word today is to the end of the book of Matthew, and we will look at the Great Commission and what we have been sent to do that we can continually remind ourselves as we take comfort from how God dealt with Jeremiah and strengthened him in the face of adversity that God has promised to do the same to us. So Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So this is our commission, the Great Commission, and God has sovereignly elected to save those who he calls to be part of his church. And he has sovereignly proclaimed that the church will declare the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We're we are to proclaim indiscriminately to all people, not based on whether we think they will respond favorably, but even to those who we believe in our hearts are most likely or certainly to reject. But God is greater than man, and often we're wrong, and there's great hope in that. So we're to proclaim to everyone, to all the nations. <clears throat> Either repentance or rejection is sure as God's living word goes forth from his church. 
and at the end of the age, the church will be proven righteous and judgment will be issued to those who have rebelled and rejected against God's word. And to us on a personal level, if you are a believer and you're in Christ and you're a part of the church, don't grow weary or faint and take heart reading Jeremiah's story. Not that he was so much holier or better or wiser or well endowed than us, but he was a man who said he didn't know how to speak. And God said, I'm going to put my words in your mouth and I will set you up against this people and they're not going to prevail against you. And God's pr promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church as well. So take heart in that. And for all of those who are not in Christ, what the, the gospel is a message of danger first. And we often miss that and perhaps don't do justice in proclaiming the gospel that it's God loves you, wants to be reconciled to you, everything can be made better, just come, church is great, you'll love it, and, and give it a shot. And that's, that's not the message. You have to start with the warning. The warning is, you are in danger. Jeremiah said to Judah, you are in danger, Judah. The Babylonians are coming, and if you do not repent, you are going to incur what God will rightfully deal to you. To all of the people of the world, we're all born sinners, and if you're apart from Christ and you have not repented, then you are apart from God, and the punishment coming that should be coming for all of us, but will come to the unrepentant, is far worse than a hostile army approaching your city and all the horrors that come with a siege and warfare. It's eternal death, eternal separation from God. Don't harden your heart as Jehoiakim and ask, Why, God, have you proclaimed this message against me? What's wrong with me? I haven't done anything wrong. God assures him, I am God, I am your God, and I know who you are and what you're doing. Don't be hardened. Hear the word of God passed down from the prophets and proclaimed through the church. And church, do not forsake the message that we've been entrusted with. And so I hope and I pray that this would teach us to boldly proclaim God's word even when the world will not hear the call of the gospel, and when the church does not want to hear the teaching of sound doctrine. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've done here with Jeremiah, and though even in his own writing he wished to give up and that he'd never been born and never been made a prophet of God, we thank you that, that you were sovereign in choosing to use him for that, and you brought glory to yourself, Lord by making him righteous and delivering the message of warning, even though he was heavily persecuted for it. And Lord, though we may or may not be persecuted in that way for proclaiming the gospel, you've promised us that we will lose family and friends and position and material things if we are to be Christians and live for what you tell us we must live for. But you've promised us that there is something better and a reward given to us and so, Lord, I pray that in the hearts of all those who are your elect and who you will call to be part of your church, that you would not let them stay in their hardness of heart and ask, why has this message been brought against me? I've done nothing wrong. And to those of us whom you have saved, Lord, I pray that we would not forget that the warning is the first part of the gospel, that we would be faithful in proclaiming the words as you have given us that you would continue to put your words in our mouths and you would speak through us with the words of the spirit and not our own words lord for nothing else has power and otherwise we will fail you've promised the gates of hell will not prevail against your church and you will accomplish your purposes lord and we praise you that you are both just and merciful and we pray you would build your church amen <clears throat>